Good afternoon from Berkeley, California. I'm Frank Ling, and this is the Berkeley Rock Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, pesticides and pocket change. In addition, we'll be joined by Dr. Anish Sheth and Josh Richmond, who will discuss the science of poo. So stay tuned for all this. Plus the Rocketron 5000. And the real famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Berkeley Grocks Science Show. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Awesome as usual, I guess. Working hard, I hope? Hardly working, actually. Uh, very good. Well, hopefully you enjoyed day. I was actually sipping lemonade in the park. Oh, well, that's a good way to go about it, I think, <laughs> rather than sipping lemonade through your toes. <laughs> so speaking of toes or roots... We've got to get back to our roots. Of course. Where's yours, Charles? The permafrost. Ah. So speaking of roots and nitrogen fixation, it turns out several types of pesticides are now being recognized as interfering with the ability for plants to fix nitrogen. Are they inhibitors towards the enzymes that are actually causing the nitrogen to be fixed? So it turns out these pesticides are actually interfering with the plant-to-bacteria communication, the signaling pathway that they use to fix nitrogen. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of legumes or beans, the roots, they send signals to bacteria in the soil to gather or um, reside around the nodules in these roots and to fix nitrogen. And for the first time, we have a very good evidence that shows how these pesticides are interfering in that chemical pathway necessary to get the bacteria there. Well, at least it's also providing insight into the pathways that are involved, right? Right, right. And they did this with test crop alfalfa, expose it to bacteria, and also some batches to pesticides and see what the effects were. I guess the troubling conclusion about all of this is that even though a lot of crops rely on pesticides and fertilizers, their level of productivity is actually leveling off. And this means that if the limiting factor is these pesticides interfering with the nitrogen fixation route, this could potentially limit or even suppress the yields of crops and basically destroy the sustainability of agriculture. We're trying to look for pesticides then that don't interfere with these pathways then. Or, you know, find ways that would make pesticides ne- unnecessary. Right. Go organic, man. Yeah. So this is a uh, very good research carried out by Jennifer Fox and her colleagues, and it was reported in our favorite journal. You know, there's so many great things in that journal. We should just change the name of our show, really, to the proceedings. <laughs> of the National Academy of Sciences. Penis. So do you like pocket change? Well, it turns out there's actually a hole in my pocket. <laughs> so I've lost all my change for the last six months. And then you need to change your pocket. <laughs> well, so it turns out that the rich apparently perceive pocket change much different than the poor. You mean not so importantly? So apparently they view spare change as being less valuable than those who have less money, obviously. Okay. To have, uh... Right, a relative value thing. Value. So a group of researchers at the uh, University of Cambridge in the UK have confirmed what most people would expect by testing this in a number of psychological studies where they showed a picture of some item and trained people. If they got the answer correct, they would get 20 pence, which is about 40 cents uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. And what they found out is that the people who had 
smaller incomes compared to those who had larger incomes learned the task much quicker. Okay. And they presumed that this was because the people who had less money, who were poorer, valued that extra reward that they would get for learning this task, so they would learn the task quicker, whereas the rich, they apparently didn't care, so they didn't put the effort in. Ah. And so they did a number of MRI scans to see parts of the brain that were involved in this process. And they suggest, again, that the rich perceive smaller amounts of money differently than us poor plebeians. I wonder what we would see if we did an MRI scan of Paris Hilton. Uh, I think it would just be this empty shell, <laughs> fluid-filled, maybe not even fluid. I don't even know what's in there. Dark matter. <laughs> Well, that would suggest that there's some kind of matter, which we really have no way of verifying. <laughs> anyway, this is fascinating work led by psychologist Philippe Tobler and published in a recent edition of Neuron. All right, this is the Grok Science Show. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Dr. Nisheth and Josh Richmond. They will talk about the science of poo. <laughs> so stay tuned. Science Show. Well, since prehistory, man has been intrigued by its complexity, beauty, and sometimes regularity. But this contemplation is often replaced with revulsion and usually a quick flush. The subject of this inquiry is, of course, poo. And it is the subject of the new book, What's Your Poo Telling You? The authors Josh Richmond and Dr. Anish Sheth began their defecation inquiries while students at, appropriately enough, Brown University, but since then have gone on to explore other opportunities. Mr. Richmond holds an MBA from Stanford, while Dr. Sheth is currently a gastroenterology fellow at Yale University. Dr. Sheth, uh, Mr. Richmond, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. It's a pleasure to have you. It's really a pleasure. I think this is really a very entertaining and fascinating book. I'm curious, uh, what's the fascination with poo? Fascination might be overstating it, but I think a lifelong intrigue would be more apt. You know, I've always been interested in the subject just out of personal curiosity. Uh, It lends itself to observational humor and obviously uh, funny and quirky conversations. But, you know, I can't say that I ever thought I would ever do anything professionally uh, involving the subject of poo. Um, I I think Dr. Sheth maybe one-upped me on that. But the idea for this book just was almost a quirky idea that after floating it to some friends, they loved the idea, and and Denise and I got together and wrote this tribute to poo. (laughs) Dr. Sheth, so you're actually a gastroenterology fellow. Uh, Does that have anything to do with the writing of the book itself? Well, it does, but I think similar to Josh, similar to a lot of uh, your listeners, I'm sure that the topic obviously engenders a lot of humor and lightheartedness, and I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially in, in college, and I think that's my interest in gastroenterology as a career has very little to do, if anything, with my interest in certain aspects of bathroom humor, if you will, but I think it does blend my sort of my interest in my current position as a gastroenterology fellow, obviously allows us to really round out the book with, uh, with not only humor, but with real useful medical information, as well as some good factoids on poo and uh, the world of GI health in general. Right. So a nice way the book is actually divided up into sort of the humor segment, and then I presume the segment that you provide, which is the sort of medical implications of what the uh, physical features of the poo is telling you. Exactly. That really combines both, and I, Josh and I somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek describe it as really highbrow humor. I mean, we wanted to really kind of capture the, the humorous, sort of almost the nervous laughter associated with talking about this topic, 
but to do it in a sort of as tasteful way as possible and, and then really provide you know, interesting facts about GI health in general, and then really by just trying to demystify what's going on in your GI tract from the time you eat something till the, the time it comes out the other end. Mm. Was it a difficult line to toe between going from the humorous aspect to something which could actually be somewhat actually disgusting in a way? Yeah, you know, at, at no point did we ever consider having having photographs. Uh, that would have that would have crossed <laughs> that line. You know, it, it is illustrated, and the illustrations are intended to be accurate yet comical. And both Dr. Sheth and I had a similar vision for this book that it wouldn't be limited specifically to or focused on just potty humor and, and fart jokes. You know, instead, it's, it's an attempt to discuss the variety and diversity of poo through shapes, colors, smells, sensations in, in a funny, lighthearted way. But at the same time, being very clear that each of the over 30 entries has a medical explanation and talks about the essential role that poo plays in both our physical and emotional well-being. And just like the photographs, uh, we also thankfully, in retrospect, decided against a, a scratch and sniff portion of the book, which uh, <laughs> I think would have gone the other direction. Uh, so I'm curious, just exactly how much does poo have to say about your both physical and emotional health? Yeah, a lot. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned emotional because we actually talk about feeling a sensation called pooforia in the book, which hopefully some of your listeners will have experienced. But it's basically, it does contribute both to your physical health and also I think we all know that having a frustrating experience in, in the bathroom can actually have long-ranging effects on, on sort of your mood and how the day goes. And on the contrary, having an experience like pooforia, which is the elation and the, the sort of light on your feet feeling that you can have after unleashing a, sort of a particularly satisfying bowel movement can also have long-ranging effects. And uh, I think it, the book kind of tries to harness not only the morphology of poo, if you will, as Josh highlighted, but also the situational and emotional type experiences that you can have in the bathroom. So what is the physiology behind the pooforia phenomenon? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, really what it comes down to is that the, you end up kind of inducing a little bit of a lightheadedness to the point where you sort of feel like a sublime relaxation. And the reason you have that is after you unleash a particularly large bowel movement, what happens is that you actually, to get really detailed, you actually are stretching the rectum. And that process actually triggers a reflex and a particular nerve called the vagus nerve, which has a lot of other functions. But one of the results of having this nerve fire is actually causing a drop in your heart rate and blood pressure. And when this happens in sort of a controlled setting, it can actually lead to this sort of sublime relaxation, this sort of, as we describe it in the book, almost like the high of kind of compared it to other sensual pleasures such as an orgasm or a, a buzz. And the, the other medical correlation of this is something that we call the OD or the overduty is that is actually some people actually have a condition called defecation syncope, which is the people who just come in repeatedly to the emergency room after passing out on the toilet. And this is actually a, an exaggerated reflex, the same reflex. But in that case, obviously, the blood pressure and heart rate tend to drop more precipitously, and it can actually lead to uh, people fainting. Huh. Has there ever been a case of somebody become addicted to the pooforia? <laughs> I think if people, I think that the reason why there's no addiction is that it's a very difficult thing to reproduce. I think regardless of how much fiber you eat and all the sort of things you can do to attempt to have the perfect bowel movement, it's one of those rare achievements. So I think it's something that someone could bottle it, they'd be very rich, but I think thus far it's, it's sort of eluded reproduction. So the book actually goes into uh, various types of poo, and uh, one that I found very humorous was the monster poo phenomenon. I wonder if you could elaborate on that. 
Yeah, well, the monster poo is something that all of us have experienced and sometimes strive for. It's distinguished by its just sheer size and girth. Synonyms for monster poo include Lincoln Log and Double Deuce and the Five Minute Diet, and 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 those are all synonyms for a poo that is regularly distinguished by being big enough that it essentially will break the the water mark or the water line of the toilet, going all in one large bolus, I guess, from the base of the bowl all the way through the top. And one of the things that I learned from writing this book with Anish was the importance of fiber and water in your diet and how directly what comes out is, is a function of what goes in. One of the lessons from the monster poo is, and from a lot of these other poos is the importance of uh, eating a lot of fiber and, and drinking a lot of water because the bulk of the stool is really directly related to those two factors. What other factors go into uh, creating the consistency poo? Yeah, it's really exactly kind of what you put in. And, and really, I think hi to highlight this, I think it's important to talk about the two different kinds of fiber that we consume. And I think this is no better illustrated than in the entry, which we term deja poo, which is the experience of seeing something that you've recently eaten in the toilet bowl. And obviously, this is all commonly associated with eating corn on the cob. And really, corn on the cob is a good example of what we call insoluble fiber. Insoluble meaning fiber that is not digested by our bodies and basically passes through our GI tract unchanged. And, and while the initial you know, reaction would be, well, what good is this doing me? Uh, it turns out that insoluble fiber is one of the main things that adds bulk to your stool, as Josh mentioned, with monster poo. It's really one of those things that adds not only mass, but by holding on to water at the same time, it actually creates sort of what we call the quintessential pillowy soft bolus of uh, stool that sort of comes out effortlessly. And this is in contrast with the other type of dietary fiber, which is called soluble fiber. And this type of fiber is found in things like nuts and beans and even some fruits and vegetables. And this fiber actually is broken down, and the, the effect, the health effect of this type of fiber is actually forms a, what we describe as a lubricant or like a, a, on the lining of the colon. It's almost like it allows the stool to pass through the colon in, in a frictionless way, if you will. And this gel, uh, which is formed by this type of fiber, is, is also found to be helpful in preventing uh, the formation of colon polyps and colon cancer. So in summary, the, both types of fiber are important. Luckily, a lot of foods have a good combination of both, and both are equally important to your gastrointestinal health. And I would say the deja poo is probably one of the, the most known and caused the most inquiries of the types of poo out there. And it was one of the real inspirations for this book. And uh, the types of factoids or nuggets, if you will, they, that uh, Anish just described are really uh, uh, sprinkled throughout the book. Which of the uh, various types of poo in the book are, are your personal favorites? Well, you know, there, there's, for me, the, obviously, the Pouphoria and the Deja Poo and the Monster Poo that we all discuss are personal favorites. There's the performance-enhancing poo, which is a great one for really harnessing a, a very legal, almost performance enhancer where you poo before a big race or a big sporting event or a big presentation, speech, date, whatever it is, it, it's a way to become lighter on your feet. And one of the things I learned from that entry is the effect of stress and how stress impacts your whole digestive system other favorite entries, but I can't say favorite poos, might be uh, the Ring of Fire or the Green Goblin or the number three. The number three is obviously when you uh, make number one uh, <laughs> out of your butt. Th those are all particularly entertaining, but I can't say that I, I personally like any of those. 
I mean, obviously, performance-enhancing poo is a timely subject with the Barry Bonds home run chase, and uh, we could only wonder, you know, what would how we how we would view the uh, the current home run record if he had opted to use a more natural performance-enhancing, like going to the bathroom as opposed to uh, anabolic steroids. But, allegedly, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> uh, I know that's a touchy subject in the Bay Area, so I'll leave that alone for now. <laughs> well, Mary Ricard more than an asterisk in the uh, record book then. <laughs> uh, clearly, I guess there's a humorous aspect to looking at poo, but uh, in some cases, uh, actually, the, the poo looks like can actually be a sign of gastroenteral disease. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are a lot of things. I think one sort of overriding theme of the book is that people are going to have day-to-day variations in, in what their stool looks like, and most of the time, it's not going to be a cause for concern, and most people are pretty good about thinking about the things that they may have eaten that can cause these changes. And really, when when the changes are more pronounced and when they're more durable, lasting, sort of on the order of weeks, that's really when you want to start thinking about, well, is there something going on in my gastrointestinal tract? And I think that you can really pay attention to a couple things. Uh, in one entry, for instance, that we highlight this uh, is something called floaters versus sinkers. Uh, again, the all too familiar experience of having stool float on the surface as opposed to sinking down to the bottom of the bowl. And 99 times out of 100, this is going to be just due to the buildup of intestinal gas, and it will be directly related to something you ate, whether it's that extra helping of chili or the third or fourth burrito you had. And it's usually not a cause for concern. But if it's something that's persisting uh, day in and day out, for some time, it could be a sign uh, of, a, of a general group of conditions called malabsorption. And these are things where fat, which is in all of our diets, if you have certain diseases of the pancreas or the gallbladder or the liver, you may not be able to digest the fat that you're consuming. And when this fat basically makes its way through the GI tract, it ends up in your stool and it actually lends a buoyancy to the stool that can cause it to float on the surface. And so we sort of highlight in the book that most of the time, any changes in your stool are going to be relatively benign things, and by just quick dietary modification, you're probably going to be home free. But then we also do mention other things and other aspects of your stool that you should really pay attention to, and then really, if things persist, the best thing to do is to see a doctor. And, and one thing that's that's been particularly interesting is obviously some people are like, like us are, are pretty open with talking about uh, poo, but others who have read the book have come up to me afterwards and said, oh, I thought that was just me. So there's a, almost a liberating aspect to this where you, you read about the, the diversity of the types of poos that are out there and people who may have been less willing to talk about that with friends or colleagues or family now or yeah, after reading this book realizing that you know it's part of the natural process of, of going to the bathroom. And being aware and, you know, looking looking at what's in the bowl and you can laugh at it, you can tell friends, but, you know, if, if there's a lot of blood or if there's, you know, if it comes out white or if it, it smells really, really awful, I mean, that those are all can be signs for different things and, and being aware of that is really a, really critical for overall health. But at the same time, there can be some fun and, and fun and humor involved as well. Uh, well, it looks like we're running slightly out of time, but I'm curious if uh, you all have uh, any final words on the subject of poo. Uh, the, you know, there are some entries, sample entries on our website, drstool.com. It's drstool.com. And also, if you have particular questions you want to ask of Dr. Stool, there's a part uh, on the website where you can do that, and, and your questions will be answered. Thank you for having us on. I think that the, the subject matter, both on your show and other 
media outlets, it seems to have really made it to the forefront of hearts and minds of uh, at least in this country. And, uh, and we just uh, we want to just keep the movement going. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Sheth, uh, Mr. Richmond, thank you very much for uh, joining us today and uh, talking about your book, What's Your Poo Telling You? Thank you. Thank you. This is the Grok Science Show you're listening to. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, small and brown, he comes from you. Sit on the toilet, here he comes, squeezing tween your festive buns. A present from down below, spreading joy with a howdy-ho. He's seen the love inside of you, cause he's a piece of poo. Sometimes he's nutty, sometimes he's corny, he can be brown or greenish brown. But if you eat fiber on Christmas Eve, he might come to your town. Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, he loves me, I love you, therefore vicariously he loves you. I can make him Mr. Hanky too. We're ready to play our game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, which was formerly known as Deep Blue. And today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, what type of poo are they? So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if they were poo, what kind would they be? Uh, Dr. Sheth, uh, Mr. Richmond, you ready to play our game? We're ready. All right, here we go. Person number one, home run leader, Barry Bonds. Without a doubt, the performance-enhancing poo. <laughs> Looking for that edge to get over the top. And uh, in one way or another, natural or otherwise, Barry Bonds has done it. <laughs> uh, number two is the famed heiress, Paris Hilton. <laughs> I think that she may be so overexposed that uh, she reminds me now of the honeymoon's over poo. <laughs> She's had her five minutes, and her five minutes has extended for a couple of years, but I think most people are, are hopefully now recognizing that there's not much there and, and are ready to move on. <laughs> they give her a quick flush. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, real estate mogul Donald Trump. We have an entry called The Snake. Maybe more of the title, but uh, I think the snake it talks about just uh, being very windy and and unpredictable in its in its outcome, and and I think that that could be one thing that uh, reminds me of Donald Trump. Fortunately, he's had some uh, financial difficulties, especially with uh, the Apprentice going downhill and uh, the Atlantic City casinos having difficulties. So it may be appropriate in 2007 to give him the, the dunce cap. <laughs> You can envision what the dunce cap poo looks like. <laughs> right, well. <laughs> Number four is uh, Oprah Winfrey. You know, uh, we have an entry uh, called The Ritual Poo, and that talks about how some people are, are so regular that they basically go to the bathroom at the same time every day, and that's a sign of success as well. And, and I think that Oprah, she's on every day at the same time and is consistently successful and interesting and entertaining. So uh, if I were to... They need to remind me of her. I would have to go with the ritual poo. Okay. Can't do better than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Finally, number five, the president of the United States, George Bush. Well, the dunce, uh, cap, the dunce cap and snake were already taken, right? <laughs> how about we go with the hanging chat? I think the hanging <laughs> chat is perfect. So the hanging chat, as we described, we may, actually we didn't describe, is sort of that recalcitrant, stubborn remnant of your bowel movement that you just can't get rid of. And it, it's one of those sort of most, annoying and uh, stubborn bowel movements you can have. And the, and the other aspect of it is, obviously, the hanging Chad has strong significance for why he's in office to begin with. <laughs> so, so we write, uh, one thing we write is, while some hanging Chads are humorous, they can be disastrous if your lover's the one who discovers these leftovers. 
And when such a calamity occurs, not even the U.S. Supreme Court can step in to save you. <laughs> well, neither can secondary elections sometimes either. So. <laughs> Again, Dr. Sheff, uh, Mr. Richmond, I do want to thank you. Uh, Sticking around playing our game and, of course, talking about your book, What's Your Poo Telling You? <laughs> Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Bruce Lee with the answer to last week's question of the week. What is a Black-Scholes equation? A Black-Scholes equation explains how the price of an option is determined in which the equity is random price, and that is the Black-Scholes equation. Here, 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 here. Very good. Well, you know, you're William Tell, and you're trying to tell me very well. Just exactly what is it you do? Well, I tell you right now, sir. Well, I will knock that apple off your head. And how will I do it? Using Marcus theory. Marcus theory, which tells me how to do it. But not exactly. It's more chemical theory. But if you know what kind, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but hey, you just might be on the mark. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Link. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.